You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome back to The Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezic, and today we're buzzing into episode 174. Yeah, 174. <laughs> and um, I couldn't be more excited. No, I, I agree. You know, I was just thinking, I can't remember what episode it was, but it was last year during spring, and we did a buzz called We're Getting Cranky yes, because we're yeah. busy. And we've talked about, like, slow times during the nursery industry, and it's changing. We're so busy. Like in August, leading up to September, but it's, I'm not cranky about it. There's there's times where it's so extended you get cranky just because you're tired. Oh yeah, yeah. we're busy and it's exciting, but at the same time it's hard to kind of get focused. Oh, this is like the- very exciting, busy. Yeah, in a way. it is. Yeah. It's very exciting, busy. Yeah. So, but it's it it's freaking hot, friend. <laughs> <laughs> it is. We have the luxury of working in the office, and yesterday we spent what probably nine hours in a car. Have you um, ever seen me that sweaty? Like, I <laughs> we were in a, a greenhouse at another nursery. <laughs> Beautiful, like really big greenhouse. I would not want to see the bill for what that no. cost to put up. Um, and uh, I made the joke, <laughs> looking at Fran and just seeing how sweaty it was. I'm like, Fran, if we were to put one of these up, I would ask them to include a squeegee for your head. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just it looked like. Uh, a little bit of rain fell it, on your windshield. It, it looked like I had just gotten out of a pool or yeah. the ocean. It was like I'm bald, so there's nothing to capture the sweat, and I didn't have a hat on, yeah. which I probably should have had a hat. But it was I was couldn't couldn't stop the sweat. Yeah, like I used the the restroom in their their like right outside of the kitchen of this nursery. And I could see a roll of paper towel in the kitchen, and I took it and just like wiped, <laughs> trying to yeah. like wipe my head off. Yeah, anyway. but it was a really cool visit. Um, good to get some of our crew up and see some other places, which is always nice. And um, and probably uh, like we, I guess is some that was somewhat yeah. plant related. Yes, uh, yeah. we do like to get in the plant stuff as soon as possible. Or at least warn you that we're not. So here's your warning. Uh, Fred and I need to talk about the pizza we had yesterday. Oh my lord, that was was really good, and we. Uh, yeah. Are jealous of the citizens of Connecticut for one thing, and yeah, uh, pizza. And that was the the New Haven pizza. The New Haven pizza, you know. And it's listen. I'm thrilled about. I I could go on and name my top ten New Jersey pizza places, my top ten Philadelphia pizza places easily. Uh, like, and you can even break it down: North Jersey, South Jersey. But the pizza that we had yesterday was true art. Yeah, I, I would d- say personally, I don't think it's it's better. I think it's on a level playing field. I'm sure, like, I haven't had enough of, like, the, like, the, I've had a lot of New York pizza, but I haven't had, like, the, all of the staples. Yeah. I've had most of the New Haven staples now. Um, I've had all the Trenton staple pizzas. And I kind of have them, they're all, like, in that, like, elite echelon. And and then there's a, can be a big drop to the next level. Have you had Angelo's in Philly? I know you've had Pizzeria Badia. So you've had some of the top. I went to Angelo's. We were going to go. Or we, I shouldn't say we were going to, we went. We were there. Were they out? They were on vacation. Oh, <laughs> Didn't have it posted anywhere. So we actually went to a, a place, and I can't remember, right down the street, which is like one of the 
like original Philadelphia tomato pie places. Oh, and um, I know which Ralph's is also is, really good. Ralph's is close to there, which everyone is talks about. Ralph's Water Ice, right? Yeah. No, no Ra- that's Ralph's Water Ice is the chain. Ralph's, Ralph's is an Italian restaurant. I think it's right near where you get the uh, cannolis. Iscro is amazing. Okay. If you're from Philadelphia, Philadelphia, okay. that's another one that's worth a trip. Bring bring a ton of cash, <laughs> bring a ton of money with you because they aren't cheap. But I think they're to me they're worth it. I didn't but. think the uh, the prices were outrageous on what we had. So we went to Moderna Pizza, which I guess used to say Moderna Beats. Yeah, but which is food and wine just ranked at their number one in the country. Uh, and it's always hard when you're having good food and you want to compare it. But unless you're having them side by side, and they're different styles. Yeah. Like even Sally's and Modern's is a different style. Like Sally's reminds me more of Trenton tomato pie. But mm-hmm. it was so – like the cheese and the sauce was so delicious and everything was cooked so well that I don't even have words for it. It was, it was just, really good, yeah. It was very, very good. Yeah, but uh, – yeah, I'll leave it. I won't make the joke that that our coworker made about the people from Connecticut. <laughs> no, I'm, I, I'm not going to even go there. Yeah. But let's get into the plants that everyone came here to listen about are, are some of our favorite na- native plants of the week and go into that's hot. that's hot. It's funny you said let's get into the plants because my that's hot is not a plant. And I week. don't know why you, you did it this way when we have a section reserved for what you picked. But um, it, I know it's traditionally been my segment. It's your I, segment. It's everyone's I, segment to me. And I know me. I could, but I didn't want to go into it that in-depth because I wanted to use it as a primer for next week. Mm-hmm. So my That's Hot, I'm doing a little bit different, and I chose a book, and there's a reason why I chose that book. So the book is Soil, The Story of a Black Mother's Garden by Camille Dungy. And Camille is actually – we've already recorded an episode with Camille, and that will be our episode next week, episode 175. And after reading it, I was so moved by reading it, I really feel it's the one environmental book you need to read this year. And it's – part of that is because it's in a voice that isn't often heard in environmental books. And and it's the, the, the title says it all. It's a, it's the story of a black mother. It's, it's a female voice of a mother, uh, a black mother that – it's not it's not something you get when you're reading a lot of environmental books and mm-hmm. after reading it I would put it on the same pedestal with braiding sweetgrass and sound county sand county almanac so I just want to give everyone the opportunity to to read this book before Camille comes on and I think you'll appreciate the episode more if you have a chance to read it and it's it's a fantastic book um, she has other fantastic books as well, but we talk a lot about this one. And uh, spoiler alert: we we do we are going to offer signed copies. Yeah, of, of this as yeah. A, so as you a will want to listen to uh, how you enter for a signed copy. Five star five star review with something said. So anyone that's already given a five star review and had written, you've already entered. I'm already entered. I yeah. want a signed copy. Really, well, bad. not you, but okay. anyone who oh, has yeah. written something. You're, you're already in a five star review. Uh, you've you've already entered. You yeah. can. This is where the gamesmanship comes in. You could yeah. edit your review, yes. and then you're going to pop back up at the top. Yes. I don't know if that's going to matter because I kind of just pick a random and number and then I count back. And but it's more than one copy. I I, I want to wait till we get the copies in hand to say how many copies that we have. Yeah. But it's it's multiple copies that we have to give away, and it, it's I'm really excited about being able to do that. So um, I. 
I listened to it on audiobook and then bought a copy mm-hmm. myself. So the audio the audiobook is actually longer. It's unabridged. So um, there's a little more content yeah. there and there's singing, there's music. It's it's a little more interactive. So yeah. uh, And that's something we even talked about, how they're almost they're uh, not own unique things, but they have their standalone, yeah. Standalone separate experiences. Because the books has the book has photos that you can see. Um so and and it's it's the story of of turning part of their property into a prairie. They call it the prairie project. And Camille actually shared with us photos of the the prairie on their property, and that will be the cover art for next yeah. week. So yeah, it's um, you know, I know it's a little bit different, but it is plant related. It's just not a plant itself. Mm-hmm. Take the time, get the book, read it. It will help along with that episode, and and you won't regret it. So, yeah, yeah, go. and uh, I think that's a, a great choice, Fran. Thank and you. it's something I I'll be honest, I hadn't, I did, definitely yeah. didn't read it. Yeah. I hadn't read it. When we did the interview, yeah. I'd only heard Fran rave about it and uh, still haven't gotten a chance to read it. But it's something I want to read before this episode comes out. Yeah. So I'm more well-versed for people yeah. who have questions and all that. And if I did grow read a book, I would feel inclined to talk more about it. Yeah. But I want yeah. I want everyone to experience for themselves and then listen along to some of the questions that we asked during the podcast. Yeah. And uh, I want to thank – is it Jennifer Cabrera that, I, yes, that recommended having Camille on? And it was a real – Game changer for yeah. me, uh, reading the book and, and getting to speak to Camille. It was so, a real journey getting her on. It really was. But it, it happened, and I think we've made a friend. I will. I, I do too. And I, I think uh, one of the things is, you know, sometimes when you're trying to get a guest on, you have to go through all the the right channels to get the guest on. And because that was getting delayed a little bit, Camille went out of her way because she wanted to do this to just make it happen. Yeah. Um, so yeah. she was just like, "Forget it. You're dealing with me now. Let's let's make this happen." So we were really excited to have the opportunity. Oh yeah, awesome. So, I'll let you go. Before, and before I get into my choice, I'm gonna fill everyone in. The place where we got the tomato pie was Sarcones. Uh, oh, probably pronounced Sarconi's. It's probably it's basically Angelo's is on one corner of the block. That one's almost to the other corner of the block. Same street. Um, really good. I will and, say uh, I will yeah. I will say this. I've had Angelos multiple occasions. Mm-hmm. Not my favorite pizza. I, I, people I people know that love, love it. it. It's their favorite pizza. It's too much crust and a little more doughy than I prefer. You know, yeah. but it I'm not saying it's a bad pizza. I'm just saying am I putting it in my top 10? Where Probably did not. the where did the crust rank on it the burnt scale? Because when we you showed people in the office yeah. pictures of pizza we had last night, maybe Thirds. the lighting's a little low. It made it look. It was a dark crust. It was a dark. They're crust. like, oh, that's burnt. That looks terrible. And the cheese and is like, the cheese is well done. Yeah, which is but, how you should be eating. Yeah, and I felt like when you have burnt crust, you taste burnt and yeah. it crumbles when you eat it. There was no crumble and very little burnt taste. Like it was dark, but it wasn't burnt in my opinion. Yeah, it was just well done, which was very good. Angelo's to me. You're not. I don't. The one. The couple times I've had it, it wasn't well done. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's how it has to be. Just, but it was a lot of crust to me, and not as much sauce. Yep. You know, and it's just. I don't know. Like moderns, the flavor of the sauce and the flavor of the cheese was yeah. very impressive. And we had three different pies, and each one was good on their own. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, they were, it was very, very good. Yeah. Okay, back to plants. Right. Yes, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. My plant, and I really don't have any write-up. It's a plant we've talked about so many times. 
but I know why you're picking year, it. Yeah, and that is the pawpaw. And uh, I've already raved about this plant and why you should be including it in your diet and uh, in your landscape so many times. Um, so I decided I'm going to do a little ASMR of of live pawpaw eating. Oh, really? <laughs> I picked one off my parents' tree. All right, very and, nice. Uh, let's see. All right, I don't so know if you can even hear any of this. I can hear it. That's me cutting into the pawpaw. I don't think this is going to be perfect. Is it ripe enough? Like Probably. they tell you, like if you can, if you can squeeze it and, and it's like a little squishy, but it's not okay. super squishy. All right. So the pawpaw around here in New Jersey have been fruiting crazy heavy uh, this year, and I did learn this that I should have done that. In that front a of pawpaw, yeah. one pawpaw will. Ooh. Yeah, listen That's to that. The, me opening <laughs> the pawpaw. Um, the the fruit of one pawpaw offers more calcium. I'm trying to remember that the the, uh, the vitamins, but it offers more vitamins than that of an apple, than that of a banana, or that of an orange. It's like more vitamin C, more calcium, mm. more of, of two other vitamins that you oh. get in other fruit available. So it's definitely not. It's definitely not perfectly ripe. Okay. It's not like that super soft yet. Yeah. But. I tend to like my fruit fruit a little underripe. So good. I kind of like this. And I, I tend to, like, when I have You it, want the I, other half, friend? Yeah, yeah I'll it's, take it. You know, well, somehow i got to find a way to I'll get it over throw, to you. Just throw it. All right. All right. Good catch. That was a great throw. <laughs> you would be the person who compliments your catch. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was a good catch. It was you know, right in the bread basket. It's a little underripe, but yeah. very good. Yeah. Very good. Um, it doesn't have a distinctive sweetness that it has. No, very good though. But yeah, very good. Um, I just I, wait. I, I no, I I prefer having it a little chilled, like in the fridge or. Well, I have this in the freezer bit. for about four minutes before uh. <laughs> I pulled it out for the. I forgot to pick these earlier today, and um, wouldn't matter anyway because they're not like not perfectly ripe. But this is so good. But you, the the good thing about picking it a little prior to being perfectly ripe, once it's ripe, the shelf life is, is very oh, short. Yeah. And I think that's yeah. part of the reason you don't really see it commercially in a lot of supermarkets because once it's mm-hmm. ripe, it's – I think you have like four days, five days. And the other reason I wanted to do it while they're still a little underripe is now the people who listen to this on September 8th have a chance to prepare themselves. Hey, hey, I, so I've done this in the past where it's like September 22nd, and now, now you might be a little too late. Yeah, September 8th. You have you might have some time. Yes. Go out and find yourself some pawpaws. How far would you drive for a pawpaw, friend? Well, that's a good question. I drive. I would drive between an hour to two hours. Like if I could get a few, like I think take so some too. Home. Yeah, I think it's it's probably. Well, I I know people who've drawn driven states away, like eight hours yeah. away to get pawpaws. Is this but, the time uh, of the year where Ohio has the pawpaw festival? I think it's. I think it's next weekend. Okay. At one point in time. Before I looked at how busy my calendar was, um, my brother's getting married in a yeah. couple weeks, uh, so that's why I definitely couldn't do this. But at one point in time, I was planning a trip where I was going to go to the Ohio Pawpaw Festival and then go to the Midwest Wild Foods Festival Ooh, okay. all in one trip. So I was going to drive out to Ohio and then drive up to uh, Wisconsin and then come home and uh, and make some other stops along the way. And then I was like, well... My brother gets married on the 23rd, and this all takes place like the weekend before. Yeah. I don't think I should be doing that. So uh, just, we got a bunch going on. And I actually had this conversation with a customer, and I was showing them some of the pawpaws on our trees in the landscape. And they were asking me about 
the native range and they were in mm-hmm. new hampshire and they're like oh like i have friends say i'll just go out in the wild and look for them but they don't occur naturally that's yeah. a little further north i think it's southern new york i'm looking up on bone apps right now just to just to kind of confirm the yeah it's um the range now i'll i'll give some tips on when you're you're found the pawpaw tree how to pick the perfect pawpaw oh i wow. found if you're just looking at the tree like if you're looking for apples and you're looking at the tree it's really hard to find them because they're green and the leaves are green. They're hard to find unless they're like really sticking out. Yeah. You got to get close to the trunk, get like in the tree and then look up and out and you'll kind of see the silhouette of these pawpaws kind of hanging down from the branches. And um, usually there'll be like w- at least one, but sometimes there's two on a stem or even three kind of on like a cluster. And then you want to make sure the one I'm holding is, is primarily green. Um, which means they probably need a little bit more time. You'll get some like blackish gray staining on them. That's a good sign. Yeah. Black, like yeah. black, big black spots can be a yeah. good sign. And then the big thing is, okay, you found the one. It looks promising. Reach up, you grab it. You want a little squish. Yeah. If with if you're making bread, if people make bread, they have that test where if you poke it, and you don't want the indent to stay, uh, you want the indent to kind of like spring back. Not the case with pawpaws. You want that indent to stay with yeah. a, a pawpaw. Yeah. Um, I guess with bread, if it springs back too fast and it's not ready yet, you want it to like take like a couple seconds to come back. Yeah. But yeah, with pawpaws, you want it when you push it. You want that indent to like to stay there, not not spring back. These ones are a little springy, but so still I, still I, tasty. I was just looking. So it's really it's inventive in New Jersey and New York, but Southern Pennsylvania it it does go up kind of to Erie, Pennsylvania, but it's mostly Southern Pennsylvania. Down to like the panhandle of Florida, out to eastern Texas, up to eastern Nebraska, um, and like north, kind of like into southern Michigan. Now, there are other – we're talking about a Simina triloba. There are mm-hmm. other pawpaws, most, all of which are almost only like Georgia and Florida. Yeah. So uh, like a Simina reticulata, a Simina uh, obovata. What's the other one? Spatulata. So most of those are Florida, Angustifolia, Incana. Like they're all in that same area. So, um, but if you can get a triloba and you can pick it naturally, it's yeah. yeah. This is what sounds like to chew on a seed. <laughs> and the seeds are the size of a big yeah. button, like a coat button. <laughs> I actually, I, I like a lot of. I guess if you're eating sunflower seeds, I like tuck the the shell to the side yeah. i kind of did that i bit into it i had a seed i kind of like tucked it to the side and then uh then i forgot it was in there oh. <laughs> but the other thing is um this was a nice unexpected tree yeah the seeds will get uh i have another one in the freezer for when we're done All unless right, we awesome. want to wait a little bit for it to ripen but um maybe early next week yeah maybe, maybe tomorrow know. maybe tomorrow um the seeds will get like this this is one of my favorite things about eating pawpaw they get like that fleshy little thing around them it did with this because it's underripe. Yeah. It didn't really stick to them, yeah. but sometimes, and it's like it's unlap, unwrapping a little present in your, <laughs> your, in your mouth. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's kind of weird. It's like it's it is a very weird sensation. But very the nice. people who've had pawpaws are like, oh yeah, I know what he's talking about. And anyone who hasn't had a pawpaw is like, what the heck is going on right now? This is this is different. So it's a fantastic choice, and I got excited once I saw that. This is what you chose because I've been wait like I could see how heavy they were fruiting, 
and it was just like they hadn't been ripe enough. So I can even feel like, yeah, it's it's right. Like I'm parts of the. I don't know how you feel. Like parts of it are, are ripe. Some of it's yeah. not quite ripe. Yeah. So, but good nonetheless. Two great choices. So, I was one of them. Was friend? Oh, I come was on. That for a comp- come on. No, I'm, I'm come teasing. on. The if you can get to a Paul Paul, whether it be via store, if you're going to plant them, plant two. Because uh, you won't get fruit if you only have one. Uh, make sure you plant two. Um, they're self-incompatible, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah. I'm wondering if um, if this is a business venture yet. Like, overnight shipped foods has been, like, a, a big thing lately. Like, you see, if a lot of people, I guess, if went into Instagram advertising hard. Like, Louisiana crawfish. And you oh, just, yeah. oh, I'm going to order it. You order it and, like, you get it shipped up the next day. It like, comes the next yeah. day, and then you got to cook them right away. And uh, thinking about it, there's uh, some oyster companies I know in uh, along the East Coast that will do that now. Where it's, uh, You can even get the one is uh, Barnegat Oyster Collective. I'm friends with some of the folks there. And they'll um, – you get, like, a little cedar box, and it's filled with seaweed and oysters, and I think they put some other stuff in there too. Oh, that's cool. And lemons and – and then basically just take the box and put it in a campfire, and it cooks. Like, it cooks with the seaweed and all that. But it's the same. Like you go online, you order it, comes the next day. I wonder if anyone's done that with pawpaws. I don't know. I will give a shout-out to uh, to Project Pawpaw, yeah. which is a, a young company that's working to get farmers to do pawpaw as a commercial crop, like a fruit crop, and also working with supermarkets to make sure that once farmers have enough pawpaw to supply that they have a place for these pawpaw to go. So we're hoping maybe five years down the road, ten years down the road, you'll be able to walk into a supermarket in these areas and be able to find pawpaw yeah. as a viable fruit option. So yeah. Like I'm waiting for pawpaw. There's gotta be a pawpaw ice cream. If you go to uh to the Bent Spoon in Princeton, they have pawpaw. They'll, they'll do a pawpaw ice cream from uh one of our friends pawpaws awesome so. and and we do know that guinness does do a pawpaw mm-hmm. ale the guinness we've had guinness in, in uh, baltimore in baltimore and it, they weren't bottling it it was only available on tap so you just have to make sure you go at a certain time of the year and vote for it to make sure it makes it to that next step where you can buy it bottled yeah it looks like you can go online and buy some pawpaws i don't know if anyone's doing that like overnight shipping but one one, one pound american pawpaw Fresh to your door, so awesome. you got some options if you're if you're out in the West Coast and you're not going to find these around you. So. All right, awesome, awesome. Uh, so go get go get the book "Soil" by Camille Dungy and give that a read. And if you can get your hands on a pawpaw or plants to plant them, make sure you do that. So uh, you won't be disappointed with the fruit. You'll find out why it was a, a chilled pawpaw was George Washington's favorite dessert. So. Um, what do you think? You want to do a little this or that? Hit the jingle, friend. <laughs> All right. So uh, last buzz, our articles. Mine was on pet feces and the damage done. And I love that one. I, yeah. I really did. And yours was on in the invasive plants in Maui and how that factored into the wildfires. And everyone voted. And I came out. I, I had didn't check today, but I was leading 15 to 7. Last time I looked. Yeah, I thought you had more votes than that. Uh, last time I looked was 15 cents. All right, I'll, I'll look. Take, take a look real for, fast. For a second, but I, and what you was know my what? article about? Yeah, you the said it The invasive plants. And honestly, I kind of felt that 
when when I saw that was your article, I really felt that that one would win. I was I was kind of shocked that mine got as many votes as it did. But it's something that we all deal with every day, and you don't think about some of the environmental impacts. I know we've talked about it with Canadian geese on uh, the amount of nitrogen that gets put into the soil that way. But it was just – it was a very factual article that had some good information. Yeah. Friend, I'll, I'll update the score for you and say okay. it was 18 to 7. Oh, OK. Had a few more, few more votes. So I'm, I'm going to go – I liked your article so much that I'm going back to the well. And I'm, friend, I'm looking at who voted for what now, and I'm going to yeah. say that I probably, while you you had more votes, yeah. I think the quality of my voters may have been better because <laughs> actually we had both Alyssa Lewis and Brad Madrinsky voted for me. Wow! And uh, and then you only had Santino and Rustinari, <laughs> and, and so I wow, know, that might wow. bring your total down. If that you may really hurt want those, that comment <laughs> may hurt your votes this week. <laughs> I'm only kidding. <laughs> Um, so my, I'm going to go first. I'm going to choose to go first. And my article is called Some Plants Are More Flammable Than Others, How Gardeners Can Reduce the Risk. And I thought that it would be a good follow-up mm-hmm. with yours. Um, so this is by Jessica Damiano, and it was uh, done through AP, uh, but we found it on fizz.org. And it's not a very long article, so I'm going to read the whole thing and move on. So the deadly wildfires in Hawaii this month were fueled in parts by plants, in particular invasive grasses that have taken over land once occupied by sugar and pineapple plantations. Some plants are more flammable than others, says Michelle Steinberg, wildfire division director at the National Fire Protection Association. But there is no such thing as a fireproof plant, she says. All plants can ignite under the right conditions. Those conditions include improper pruning – Insufficient watering and poor uh, sanitation practices that allow dry, dead plants to remain on the soil surface in high-risk areas. If you live in a fire-risk zone or an area where climate change is increasing the fire risk and are selecting plants for your garden, knowing which ones offer some fire resistance and which are more flammable will serve you well. Plants that contain aromatic oils, resins, waxes, or gummy sap are among the quickest to ignite even if they've been well-watered and cared for. Those include acacia, bamboo, eucalyptus, Japanese honeysuckle, rosemary, scotch broom, and gas plant, which gets its name from the flammable vapor its flowers and leaves exude. Trees with peeling papery bark like river birch are generally generally more flammable than those without, and fine-needled evergreen shrubs and trees like cedar, cypress, fir, juniper, pine, and spruce contain volatile saps and resins. Their dropped needles left to dry on the ground or on the roof further increase the fire risk. Redwoods, a notable exception, are considered fire-resistant due to the tannic acids in their bark. I wonder if that would include uh, like Atlantic white cedar with, a tan, with mm. its tannins. Mm-hmm. And that's mainly wetland plants yeah. anyway. But uh, Many grasses such as the buffalo, molasses, and guinea types that, are, that fueled the Hawaii fires as well as fountain and feather grasses – are considered highly flammable. Their ignitability increases when they are left to stand dry over the winter or during periods of drought. Excessive dry heat evaporates moisture from the soil and from them and many other kinds of plants, essentially turning them into kindling. As a group, native plants aren't necessarily less flammable than introduced species, Steinberg said, but non-native invasive plants often pose higher fire risks because they spread readily typically are left undisturbed by wildfire, outcompete native vegetation, and often tolerate heat, drought, and heavy rains well. They can quickly cover fields, acres, and even miles of land where a spark such as from lightning can set them all ablaze. Many grasses such as 
Uh, oh, oh, sorry. I, I posted the same thing twice. I apologize. Um, for the best fire resistance, select deciduous trees like ash, crabapple, dogwood, locust, maple, and oak over fine needle evergreens. Succulents with water-filled leaves like ice plant and sedums are slow burners, as are some ground co- covers like ajuga and creeping flocks. The Washington State University Extension Service has published valuable guidelines identifying these general plant characteristics as fire-resistant. High moisture content in leaves, which ignite and burn more slowly. Little or no seasonal accumulation of dead vegetation. Open branching habits. They provide less fuel for fires. Fewer total branches and leaves. Again, less fuel for fires. Slow growing, so less pruning is required to keep open structure as noted above. And non-resinous material on the plant, i.e. the stems, leaves, or needles that are not resinous, oil, or waxy. So I just thought it was good general tips. It it does give a lot of great native suggestions to use if you're in a high fire area of what to use and what not to use. Uh, it just helps guide you if you're at risk of wildfires. Like that's something that that we hear locally because of the Pine Barrens when you get fires and we're far enough outside that I don't think we've ever had that risk. But if you're mm-hmm. living in those areas, it's oh, all yeah. things you have to consider. Mm-hmm. So uh, I just thought it was a great great primer of what to look for yeah definitely and um like you said we don't live in an area where this is as as big of a concern but uh but just not too far away from us in the new jersey pine barrens like you said is is a place where it is concerned yeah and uh and we're uh and there's the word i'm looking for there's so many yeah there's so many of these these wildfires going on I mean, uh, across the, the continent. And a huge scope. The, the Canadian wildfires just, we were under smog for, mm-hmm. like heavy smoke for oh, yeah. three days, four days, mm-hmm. like to where it was affecting. A few different times, yeah. too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just uh, uh, when I was on Long Beach Island a couple weeks ago, I was standing on the beach and I'm, I read that there was going to be some smoke. And then you just kind of saw it roll in. It was really. It's, it's wild. Interesting. So, yeah, it's wild. Uh, it's something that can be so far away has such a major impact um like 2000 miles away so totally totally all right what do you got this week yeah i have a a fun article oh can't wait to hear <laughs> it's um it's from a website called gardenrant.com oh and, i uh, saw this which and we've thought about it <laughs> we've even talked about this a couple times uh this website in particular yeah we've featured on here um and it's about something we talk about in our next episode with with camille, uh, with camille. and i i left the the author that they referenced, not in this article, but the article this author's talking about. Yeah. This is like a big wormhole. <laughs> kind of how we get in the podcast loops with the yeah. time warp. This is yeah. I'm talking about an article that's wrote about another article praising that author. Um, when we're talking with Camille, I kind of say, yeah, he just he doesn't get it. Like he's he's it, saying he's saying I think his points are valid. They're just not well. Why don't you in the right direction? You tell the story of yeah. the introduction, how you left it for me, and what. Yeah. So basically, what I did is I there's a, a magazine we get called Greenhouse Grower, a, a trade magazine, and they'll have stuff like, oh, why you should be using this fertilizer. Here's a, a cool plant you should look at, and there's a recurring feature, uh, or a recurring, uh, what do you call a segment in a magazine? It's still a segment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But anyway, there's a, a contributor who who writes in this magazine every month. Yeah. 
And um, a lot of the time it is about native plants in some ways. And, hey, here's some great native plants for pollinators and lists. Yeah. Usually a lot of cultivars. He's a traditional horticulture guy. Um, well, this one was saying how uh, basically native plants are overhyped for pollinator benefit. And there's plenty of non-natives that are great for pollinators yeah. too. And um, and I was just reading it. I'm like, hmm. I, I have my feelings about this. I'm just going to leave. Fran wasn't sitting at his desk. I'm, I'm just going to leave this on Fran's desk and see what he thinks. And then he wrote back on a post-it note saying, this just makes him sound out of touch. Yeah. And um, which is kind of how I felt, too. The whole the original article was very much. Uh, it didn't give any scientific facts based on his opinion. Yeah. And I, I don't want to give my opinion until after you read yeah. this article. It was, and I agree, it was, it was observational, and I think it was valid observations. But it was just like, oh, it's not just about the bees and the butterflies that come to visit. It's the whole cycle, and not even just for pollinators, but then the whole food chain for birds. What's happening outside of your garden? Yeah. And why maybe you should think about, hey, what's happening over here and why I should make a bigger stand here in my garden? He's ignoring all environmental research that has been done over the last five years. Yeah. And and I will give my rant afterwards, which isn't – isn't going to be popular with a lot of people in the horticultural industry. Maybe our listeners it will be popular, but I wouldn't be surprised if – again, you can add this to the list that if I don't show up for work one day. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, this the article was, again, from GardenRant.com titled, A Familiar Voice Speaks Out on Natives and Pollinators. Uh, it was by Elizabeth Licata, um, who's been a contributor for that uh, that um, source for since 2007, I think. It's okay. in her bio. And uh, I'll read the article because it's fairly short, and then uh, her article, um, and then I'll give some more, more of my thoughts on it afterwards. So, well, look who's thrown his famous hat in the ring of often contentious discussion and pollinators and native plants. It's friend of the rant. Uh, I, uh, his name's Alan Armitage. Yeah. And really, really respected. I, I Very a lot well respected respect in the industry. Um, the author of Herbaceous Perennial Plants, who has often contributed guest opinions here. Uh, actually, it's been too long since we've hosted one. In a recent column for Greenhouse Grower, Armitage had a f- has a few blunt words to say, starting with, it does not take a brain surgeon or rocket scientist to understand the importance of pollinating insects to ecosystems in general, from the forest of the Amazon to your neighbor's vegetable garden. But then his rye addition, the fact that most gardeners and landscapers don't want plants to reseed and have no use for the fruit of impatience or baptisia is not important. I won't quote the entire article. It's freely available and linked here. But basically, Armitage says that uh, what many of us say, a judicious mix of natives and non-natives can make both pollinators and gardeners happy. He then goes to, on to applaud such non-natives as zinnias and salvia, both of which are the stars of my garden at this time of year. The article is also making the rounds on Facebook, where he's attracted plenty of comments, including uh, these all good points. There's a lot of shaming going on in the garden community, condemning people who don't grow 100% natives. It's awful. I agree with Alan's line of thinking. As a lavender farmer who has a butterfly farm, I'm chastised by the native fanatics out there. Yes, I'm well aware lavender is not a native and zinnias are not either. Our butterflies and other pollinators love our selection of pollinator plants. As a professional gardener, there's no way I can plant all natives in my garden, yet there is no shortage of bees, butterflies, hummingbirds. I use a ton of annuals, and let's face it, the only way to satisfy many of my clients uh, is with color year-round uh, among the native and uh, native non-native perennials. Uh, the focus of pollinators, many of which are generalists, is short-sighted because it's not just about the pollinators. It's about the myriad of leopardopid large. I think I might have missed something here. Um, where was it? Oh, I lost my place, Grant Fran. Oh, yeah. I'll read this anyway. Okay. 
is not just about pollinators, it's about the myriad of lepidopter larvae and other insects that need hosts, uh, not, not just pollinators, plants, uh, many of which are more likely to be specialists of, on one or very few native species. Uh, and here is another comment from a former writer of the magazine named Carol Reese. Uh, plants closely related, or plant closely related plants from other continents and watch the native insects use them for larval food. Nutritionally, they aren't very different. A place to start would be fennel and parsley for black swallowtail caterpillars, past flora species that aren't native for Gulf fritillary, fritillary caterpillars, gomphocarpus, a milkweed plant from Africa, Vermonter caterpillars, then help dispel the myth that it must be native. Tell folks to get out there or get out of the way and let the insects choose. Who are we to tell them what, they should, uh, what they should be consuming? And, and here's a claim about natives to which I further, uh, thoroughly disagree. Bonus, they're adapted to local soils and climates, so it's easier to maintain and they don't need to be replaced after one or two seasons. Uh, no, simply not true. And honestly, adapted to what soil? Local soil in most urban and suburban communities, there's no such thing. Who knows what has been added and subtracted over centuries of human development? The primeval forest is long gone, my friends. I wish more gardens where I live would read what Armitage and our friend Carol have to say about this. Instead, too many around here have swallowed the orthodoxy whole, just the orthodoxy minus most science, and can't wait to scold those who dare plant Budlia or any uh, another of the author's favorites, or even daylilies in their garden. Why many would add more detailed analysis to such columns, columns as Armitage, it's the accessibility of what he says that's important, and the common sense. Um... All of it, these contradict each other. Like, Budley is not even a host plant for anything native. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's nectar producing, and most of the annuals are nectar producing, yeah. which, yeah, can they feed? But is that are, – are you focusing on – like, there is a focus on Lepidoptera. Yeah. And what are the best hosts for Lepidoptera? These, not these. And yeah, that's – they're and not um, re- regarding And that was the one science. of the things that was an interesting comment that, that the uh, ranter Carol Weiss, Reese had put in, that plants that are closely related from other countries – can be nutritionally similar to others, which is, I don't know, but I could buy that. Um, but then now you're, in that sense, you're doing the same thing. Okay, I want to get, I, I, I want to have monarch caterpillars. I need something that feeds them. Yeah. Is it easier to go out and get milkweed or go and find the African yeah. milkweed? Yeah. Or maybe there's some a material, uh, or uh, not material, there's a a, a visual difference that, is more appealing to yeah. some gardeners versus us. I can get that, but does we, that necessarily make it better, easier, cheaper? There uh, are there are people that say you should plant nothing but natives. The problem is that there's not enough natives. Yeah, like the problem is more people are planting non-natives and invasives, or they're more readily available than natives. Yeah. And we say all the time it'd be better if everyone had four natives in their mm-hmm. their their yard than one person having a hundred. The, the thing that they're not talking about is diversity. Yeah. And, and in order to have the diversity of all these native bees, moths, mm-hmm. butterflies, that we're just starting to learn what their function is in nature for the food web. Yeah. The more you lessen these things because you're, you're kowtowing to just – you're not looking at larval host. You're just looking for, for, for nectar or you're looking at non-native yeah. pollinators. It, it, it's just – yeah, it's, it's very hurting the overall diversity of what you. And that need. was some of the comments on Armitage's article. It was just a little short sighted, and there's a lot of really good comments on this article. I, I, um, I actually wrote short sighted as you were reading this. <laughs> yeah. Many that were like, "Oh yeah, the, I'm tired of people getting mad at me because I don't plant on natives," which is something I think we need to listen to that yeah. as a native plant community that we shouldn't be getting. We've preached that for a long time. Yeah. We shouldn't be getting mad at people because they aren't planting native plants. 
um, because that's just going to make them not like native plants, which is the sentiment that we're hearing from this article and a lot of the comments. There's one comment in particular that I really liked. Um, It was by someone named Virginia, and they wrote, I would really like to hear more about the related species idea for host plants. I read on the subject of native plant gardening constantly, uh, but this is the first I've ever heard of this. It sounds exciting. If there were more information on this and if they're really of equal value as hosts, I know people who would be on board. Yes, people can be too harsh on non-natives, but if you do invasive management on larger properties like I do, you would understand the passion. Most suburban gardeners have not experienced an entire forest of burning bush. Pollen sources are useless for native insects and birds in the end without host plants. So I'm looking forward to learning more. Also, native shrubs and trees are even more important in terms of biomass. They do the lion's share of the work. That sentiment exact is what I really hit on where where I feel it's really short-sighted. And why native plants in the home garden is so important because you look at these wild places, they're not, they don't have, one, they're not very diverse. Uh, I go to, I talk about our farm all the time. You go in the back, it was farmed up to the creek at one yeah. point. They let some grow back in. It's all silver maple and red maple and um, and sweet gum. Yeah. There, and there's some, there's some uh, beach in there. There's some hickory in there. But if you had went back and had a more diverse forest, you're going to have way more species diversity now okay we go down a level there's no shrub layer there's some viburnum nudum there's some uh there's some american hollies that are like in that middle range um some spice bush that's really all i can think of right now then you go down another level it's uh multiflora rose himalayan blackberry uh there's there's some good stuff there's poison ivy there's a virginia creeper um, you have barberry in there. Uh, there's, I would think from that, like that level, there's probably more or just as many invasive species by count as there are native species. Still just Japanese yep. stiltgrass. Then you get down the bottom, like the floor level. We, we yep. talk so much about how, how many great spring ephemerals there were. Yeah. Uh, there's some ferns. Um, I'm trying to remember. I think it's hay scented fern, but you think about that whole stretch, and it's five, six acres, not really that diverse. Not every ecosystem is that diverse, but a lot of the lack of diversity comes in. You had fast growing pioneer trees, um, but a lot of that species lack of diversity is you don't have a shrub layer and you have a bunch of invasives instead. Yeah. And that's where I feel like I was saying, that's where I feel it's short sighted because. It's not we're we're taking for granted that these wild places are doing their job and providing ecosystem services. They're providing not just food for pollinators, but habitat for wildlife, all the the other things that these plants can do, and they're not. So we need to do you're it. You're experiencing home. trophic cascade, like yeah. it's like, and this is something that Doctor Enrique Sala talked about in the Nature and Nature. Just when you start reducing diversity how it affects the community as a whole and it yeah. becomes out of balance and it doesn't work properly yeah. and it's uh it it's i all right i know this is harsh but i was really shocked at how quickly alan armitage was willing to publish his ignorance mm-hmm. as far as then it's yeah. by saying by downplaying the need for native plants, it's like downplaying climate change and saying it's not a real thing. It's or it's not as as big of a deal as people think. And I think there's a lot of science to back this. And I know that's a little harsh, but to me, he sounded like an old white man 
who who is a leader in our industry mm-hmm. that now his, what he's built his career on is being questioned, not directly, indirectly. And it's he had to get himself back on top, and it's affecting his reputation and his wallet because you're looking at someone that, that with the uh, how many cultivars has he been involved with or or introductions so yeah I, it's to me it's his take is biased based on because mm-hmm. it has it affects him personally to think otherwise yeah and i don't know enough about that to to go that far but it's just yeah it's when you're just if you, if you want bee visitors i have zinnias in yeah. my backyard yeah, there's tons of bees on them. Yeah. They tend to be bumblebees. They tend yeah. to be generalist insects. There's yeah. butterflies too. It's yeah. a lot of swallow, uh, uh, tiger swallowtails, yeah. a lot of generalist stuff. And and like I said, I could hit the original article. It just was like, man, you're leaving. It's You're missing a good You're missing a lot. And I think the general horticulture industry is on board with it. Hey, yeah. We've we've talked about it before too. There's a whole new line of native plants that are going to go to garden centers yeah. from uh, from this one nursery, and it uh, but it just plays on a, a honeybee moniker, and it's like, well, someone who knows native plants and yeah. is passionate about them and thinking about, oh, that doesn't really go hand in hand. You have a non-native insect that you're using to market a native plant, yeah. um, a non-native insect that doesn't need any yeah. help, even though we but need to save it, the pollinators. This one doesn't particularly need any help, and it's uh, yeah, it's just. And this is someone. Short. This is someone that has a a loud voice, giving opinion, not fact, giving his opinion to debunk what a lot of people are passionate about. And it's, and we always talk about it like whoever has the loudest voice can change the most minds. Yeah. Sometimes, and mm-hmm. this is kind of off topic, but on topic. But I talked about it recently last weekend. Um, there was a representative from EcoShield mm-hmm. walking around our development, going house to house. Kind of unethically, like the man walked in my backyard uh, without knocking on the door, just mm-hmm. came in the backyard because he could hear I was working in the backyard, uh, which startled me. That's um, – and yeah, I've seen him just walking around people's property kind of like uninvited, but he proceeded to approach me about treat bug treatment mm-hmm. on the property, and I was like, you're, you're really talking to the wrong – wrong person here and he goes oh no like if this isn't toxic this is um organic <laughs> yeah and i was like well that's not a factual statement i'm like is that what they're telling you to say because if it's killing bugs it's toxic yeah. and he gave me a handout of the bugs that it would kill i'm like but you realize it's going to kill any bug yeah and i'm like we have a forest ecosystem in our backyard and even though we we have mosquitoes we don't want we have plenty of bats that feed on this mm-hmm. we have plenty of birds that feed on these and if you kill these, you're killing those things. And he just looked at me and went, I think I'm going to leave. Yeah. Yeah. And then I proceeded to talk to all of my neighbors that were talking to him and just saying, you can do what you want to do. I'm not telling you not to do it, but this is the reality of it. And we had good conversations about what can mm-hmm. you do with mosquitoes. I'm like, you can spread your lawn all you want, but we back up to a water source where the mosquitoes breed. So you're just throwing your money away. You're going to kill them, and then three days later you're going to have more mosquitoes. The problem is you're also killing – all the things that are also eating mosquitoes, like you're killing all their predators. So every time mm-hmm. you treat your yard, you're making the matter worse. Yeah, which was an eye opener for because yeah. oh, that's yeah. not what. And I'm not making any money off of this, but I'm going against a company that's actively marketing house to house, telling people lies, 
And I kind of feel like this is someone that's using their stature to to voice something that's an opinion and not yeah. necessarily factual and turning people into getting on board. And it yeah. was just – I was really sad to see it, and it just – to me, it just knocked him down a couple notches of how I felt about him personally. Yeah, it was – that was kind of how I felt yeah. too. It was just, like I said, really respected in the – the nursery industry has done probably a lot for yeah. vouching for native plants. Yeah. Um, and while I didn't always agree with everything that he said, I was yeah. like, oh, I, it's doing more good than, yeah. it, I don't think it was doing any harm. This one, I just, I it's get what he's saying. It's not, yeah. it's what he's saying isn't untrue. It wasn't, it wasn't You're going to have, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't all bad information. Yeah, it wasn't untrue. You're going to have tons of, Bees and butterflies coming to your zinnias and your budlia and all that kind of stuff. It's going to happen, but it's not. Benjamin Vogt, the line I always like to quote, is it really a pollinator garden if you aren't supporting the larval stage? One. Yeah. And then, it, but it just goes so much deeper than that. Yeah. It's the food connections. It's the wildlife connections. It's the ecosystem services that these things can do that we're, again, we're taking for granted that they're happening someplace else. That's, and they're, that, it's. They are, but more and more as we continue to yeah. build and create impervious surfaces and expand, they're not anymore. But most of these people aren't worried about ecosystems, ecosystem <laughs> no, systems right. that are happening you're in right. the forest. They're worried about their own garden mm-hmm. and what they like to look at. Yes, yeah. you know, it's 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 a collection. Yeah, to them, mm-hmm. and it's we're we're hurting their collection. And I think that's where, like the, we're the native plant their, movement yeah. is is going. Um, especially I'm really impressed with, uh, the, the younger generations. Like I'm generation is Z is after like millennials yeah. generation Z cause it's not even it's gardening has always been a, what can this do for yeah. me type of thing? Yeah. Um, not even what can this do for, what can this do for my eyes? And, yeah. Yeah. And more so what does I think you can go a step further and say, what does this do for my neighbor's eyes and what they think about me? Yeah. What does this is really do what for my wants. property value and what other yeah. people, how they view me? The native plant people, uh, and I'm generalizing, not all of them. And then you go the next step and say some of these, when I look at my peers and folks that are younger than me, they're not thinking about, hey, I want to know, I want my neighbors to look at this and think, wow, what a, what a great looking landscape. They're saying, what does this do for... Everything else. Though not even what does it do for me. It, a lot of them do because they're like, oh, what can I do to eat this? But what else is going to eat this yeah. too? And they're they're thinking, well, yeah, what else does this help? Because it's great. The whole thing is greater than us, and it's becoming more and more important. And yeah. that's where I, I don't think, even in the yeah. article I featured, I don't think what they're saying is untrue. I just think they're, it's very shallow. Yeah, and it's you know any any person that disagrees with me could come to my house and look at my yard and say, "Oh, you're a hypocrite." Like I see non-natives, mm-hmm. I see invasives. Yes, but if you would have looked five years ago, much different. There yeah. were other than the mature trees, there were no natives, mm-hmm. um, and now we've we've added twenty different natives to the property, and we've taken out patches of invasives and non-natives as we have gone along. You know, it's just. So much work and so much time and so much money. We mm-hmm. can't do it all at once. Yeah, everyone's in different stages of that journey. And if I had the money, I would do it overnight. Yeah, you know. So it's it's one thing you could easily skew what I'm saying by saying, "But look at you. You have I, I can name five different invasives in your property. Yeah. I agree that, but 
They're also in my neighbor's mm-hmm. properties and the natural area behind me. And unless you're going to take care of all oh, of it, yeah. I can't control it all. It's um, my wife and I. This is we we really don't fight often. The one thing we fight about is our landscape, yeah. and um, and it's one of those things where like if it was up for me, I don't I don't really care. I've never been someone who cares what other people think about me, and I it reflects in my landscaping because from a, a conventional standpoint, my front landscape really isn't attractive in that conventional manner. I love it because it's basically looks like a big meadow. Yeah. And if I could turn my whole lawn into a meadow without really people getting angry, um, I probably would. And, uh, not even from a maintenance perspective, that's like a benefit, a bonus of it. I enjoy mowing the lawn because it kind of gives me like a space to think. Um, but just, I would miss that that aspect yeah. of it if I turned my whole lawn into a meadow. But it's uh, the only reason I don't do it is because I already get some comments here and there. Yeah. Not that I care, but it's just like, oh, people are going to angrily come at me. You, you want to be a good neighbor. And, and people, yeah. the things that I are seeing, people would go and mow it because they they think they're helping me. Yeah. <laughs> Not, and they're like, oh, this lazy bum doesn't want to mow his lawn and look at what they did. But... um. And that's just education that yeah. I have to do in my own community. But, uh, yeah, that's um, where my wife looks and says, hey, it's, it's got to look like, like the Joneses. Yeah. It's, you, I don't care if we use native plants. It's just got to look like everyone else. And I'm like, I look at uh, the folks across the street, keep going down, down, down. I don't see a single landscape that I want. Yeah. I'm like, that just it looks so bad. And that's just my, my preference. And I get it's not everyone's preference. But I think if more people knew what a big issue it was and how making the choice to put a Japanese maple in your yard versus a red maple um, and the difference it could make. And the red maple is probably not the even a, a, a red bud. Yeah. Um, I think they would then start to choose the red bud. Yeah. If they knew how much of a, a effect this would have cascading down. I... I- and if everyone then chose, and you have a red bud and then a service berry, and then you just kept going down the line with yeah. a, what a difference that could make in a really small space. Even if you go beyond the look, like we had this year nesting robins, nesting cardinals, nesting red-tailed hawks on our property. Like, And when you can go and see, like and identify, use Cornell Labs and see that you have 20 different birds uh, locally in your backyard or, or in close proximity – that's pretty exciting to go out. Like yeah. the other day I was on my patio and I watched two hummingbirds playing mm-hmm. in my backyard. Like yeah. wonderful to see. Oh, you yeah. know, and I don't know had we had we not made those changes a couple years ago if, if it, there were – would be as diverse or we would see those yeah. things. And, and not that like – and this is again anecdotal. I could write an article and use this. I go in my backyard and I you go on <laughs> uh, the, the Cornell yeah. bird app again. And I, I hit record, and I probably get like ten to fifteen yeah, different species, which is awesome. I do it at my. I've done this at my brother in law's house. I got three, same time of day. Yeah, yeah. And maybe the weather's a little different. Maybe it's a slightly different time. I actually did those like back to back nights, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, well, he he lives in a, a subdivision where he did take out his uh, his Japanese barberry. Okay, good. Um, he didn't know. He just he, he just, just didn't like it. Out. But they planted a bunch of roses, Sharon, and they have some roses, and and I don't give them a hard time about it. Yeah. Um, but uh, 
but it's he'll start seeing the Rosa Sharon popping up in the lawn. <laughs> it's one of those things. Actually, he sees a lot of Achilles popping up yeah, in his lawn. Yeah. I'm like, Ooh, that's oh. a good one. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, it's coming up everywhere. I need the mow. But, but it's, um, like, yeah, like, it's a, it's a different taste. The the other big takeaway I have from this, and this was one of the comments they had, and and this in the comments she took from Armitage's article, article, and then the comments on her article directly is there's a lot of people who feel attacked by native plant people that they aren't planting 100% native. And some of that is because a hit dog's going to holler. Yeah. And they, they, they you're, when we uh, critique, even if it's a nice yeah. critique, what we're doing now yeah. and trying to be um, uh, not progressive, but we're trying to be constructive about yeah. it. Some people, because it's directly going after what they do and what they yeah. like, yes. get upset by that. And they're going to take that as personal criticism, even though it's it's a general generalist comment. Um, but then I, there are people, a significant amount of people who I see take it too far. And um, I've had people take it too far with me and say, I'm not doing enough. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's and we I, got everyone, I, ha- I think we need, all need to start. Yeah. Um, and there's some people who haven't gotten started yet. And because uh, they don't know, they have patience, patience, and kindness. Yeah, you you can't you can't beat someone into doing something that, even though be beneficial, um, man, you you just can't do it that mm-hmm. way. And, yep. and that's something you and I have done talks, multiple talks about ha- having those conversations mm-hmm. with people. We've even done a whole episode about that. Yeah. But you know, some of this is like I wouldn't begrudge anyone for having a la- lavender farm or. You know, and yeah. I'm sure the butterflies oh, yeah. and pollinators love it. But what are the pollinators, and what are who's using it as a larval source? I'm not saying to rip it out and be done with it. I'm not saying even have. I'm okay if you're 99 percent non-native, as long as you're contributing and thinking about it and adding some natives. It's just start the journey and then let the rest take care of itself. Mm-hmm. Two great yeah. articles. I have a feeling you're going to win this one. We just talked about well, it for about twenty minutes. Well, it depends <laughs> if people listen, listen, and then vote, or the, they just see my article uh, and then vote. You have to but, read both articles. Oh or, yeah, yeah. Read both articles if you haven't listened to them and yep. before, uh, and recognize that my article is about is is pointing out an alternative opinion, yeah. and and critiquing it. Now I know that my critique probably wasn't very kind. And, oh, no, and I have yeah, no apologies I, for that on this one because there's plenty of. I know my view, and I know that I'm not one of those people that shame other people to – I just think that the that the initial reason for writing this article was wrong. I'm mm-hmm. not saying what he – everything he said was wrong. I'm just saying that I feel that his reasoning for doing this was selfish. I, I, I could be I, wrong, yeah, and I, I could be know. wrong. That's my opinion. Yeah. That's that's that that's that could be my opinion, but that's how I feel about it. Yeah. So anyway, two two great articles, mine on uh, which plants are more flammable than others, and Tom's uh, from Garden Rant, um, a familiar voice speaks out on natives and pollinators. Uh, we will have this posted on Monday, where you can read both articles, or you, you obviously just listen to them here, uh, and make sure you vote because. And of course, the choice is yours. Stay tuned for more of the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery.
All right. That was a much longer se- session. It was, yeah. A section. Well, we had I a thought. lot to say. We and did. I think it was. I think maybe it, was, it wasn't all. Yeah, it's a critique, but I think it was yeah. constructive. Um, I hope so. I, I hope. I hope it helps put together the pieces for some people. Yeah. And and they recognize that you have you do have and it's one of my the most frustrating things I go when I go to some of these meetings because there's so much branding um, that's coming into native plants yeah. in a sense which I I like I'm okay I like with that there's more native plants yeah. coming out there but mm-hmm. it's just the the messaging. Isn't quite there. Yeah, like like I was saying, oh, people listen. Oh, pollinators are in decline, and it just ends up being the sole focus of this is yeah. is pollinators. And um, how many? People, and then how, then a lot of people just tie it into honeybees. Yes. And we're in the minority of the population who understands that yeah. that it's not honeybees that are hurting. It's it's the uh, the our native bees and. Our native birds, and that reminds me, there's someone else i got to reach out to about coming on that I, right. I heard awesome. on another podcast. I'm like, oh, that would be – I don't know why I didn't think about reaching out to them sooner. Awesome. Mostly because I didn't know who to reach out to. Awesome. <laughs> but I have a, a contact. Now. So I did – you know, before we get into listener shout-outs, like we have uh, some great guests coming up that are already confirmed and scheduled. But we did hear back from I, – I have to follow up of one of our most requested guests that has agreed to do the show but just hasn't scheduled as of yet, and the person's very busy. But uh, should I say the name or should I wait? Like, Am I'm, I jinxing it? I'm not sure who you're talking about. I, I, Fran's going to write it on a piece right. of paper for me so I can, I can tease it, I guess. Let's see here. Let's see. Do you know who that is? Yeah, I I do. Um, it's, it's this one. Yeah, it's uh, I don't know. Do you wanna? Do you wanna? Do you wanna jinx it? I don't think I'm jinxing. If I said mm-hmm. there's plenty of times people have yeah. agreed to do it and it just never worked out. Yeah. Uh, but Ranger Griff from Redwood Rising uh, said he would love to come on the podcast and talk to us, and it's just a matter of scheduling at this point. And was uh. Very complimentary about us as well. So yeah, we just awesome. expressed how we're fans and that our listeners are huge fans that keep requesting. So I'm hoping that might happen. So I know it's even been talked about in the uh, the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook. Yeah, so. yeah. Put a put a good word in for us. Yes, and then yeah. say, hey, we you need to do it sooner versus later. <laughs> we we want to hear from you. <laughs> All right, let's do some listener shoutouts. All right. You want to go first? I've been going first a lot. I can I can go first and say okay. I we didn't get a, a single write up on a five star view. We this week. didn't. We not didn't. a one, and that made me very sad. You know, I think a lot of it. I was very upset this week that Apple Podcasts had issues on the day yeah. that we yeah. we um, publish our episodes on Friday. So even though we publish it at five o'clock in the morning, it didn't show up in some people's podcast app until like three o'clock in the afternoon, four o'clock in the afternoon. So which which is it's a shame because it was a three day holiday weekend. Some people probably didn't even look at it that until Tuesday. But but uh, yeah, no no new five star reviews, not yeah. even one without a write up. Yeah, not a one. Yeah. But. Uh, so I did pick someone, uh, not out of a hat. I I saw some some Facebook activity, and I I thought I'd shout this person out, and that's uh, Patrick Gilliam, who's been yeah. a longtime listener of the podcast, yes. uh, New Jersey resident, student of Bill Young. Um, 
And uh, basically, I I really appreciate some of the the stuff he had been talking about on Facebook about supporting local nurseries, and I thought that was a just a really nice thing to do. And saying, hey, just wherever you are, it's like there's there's some big ones out there. This was actually a survey I saw done. Oh, okay. Uh, more around seed, but it was basically saying how so many people are getting their seed from one or two places. And uh, and there's not many, but there's other seed players out there. And there was a lot of complaints that people know where to get seed. And uh, it was just make, connecting those dots. Yeah. But I think it happens a lot. And, and I've talked about it before. Is you, if no matter where you are in the country, well, I don't know how far I can go with this. There's probably someone who's into native plants where you are. Yeah. And you're going to meet them through Native Plant Society meetings or Wild One meetings or, or meetings about uh, birds or, or bees or butterflies, that kind of stuff. Um, and they're going to maybe have some extra that they can, they'll, they're willing to share. Maybe they want a little money in return or a case of beer or something like that. But um, if you don't have the luxury of having a, a solid native plant nursery near you, I think that's good. The other thing that was really interesting um, with, with his post is uh, and I'd also want to say is there's a lot of regionally there's a lot of sharing between nurseries. Yes. Um, I know just with our nursery that uh, there's a lot of other native nurseries around us. Not all. There's some that that really stick to them yeah. and do everything themselves. There's a lot of nurseries around us that will, like fill in with certain stuff. Yeah. Uh, that so we'll grow it and they know where they're getting it from. It fits what their clientele needs. They want to keep it local and. Going to us because we're within an hour isn't that big of a deal to them. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of nurseries that that stuff goes back and forth, and yeah. So uh, yeah, I just thought that was awesome. it. Really, he he was. There's a couple different posts he had on Facebook. That was one I thought was really nice, and you saw a lot of really good comments of people saying, cool. "Hey, this is I'm in Virginia. This is he threw out a couple that were local yeah. to him." Uh, there's someone's like, I'm from Virginia and this is one I really like. So I'm from Massachusetts. This is one I really like, or here's two that I go to a lot. And I thought it was just really, that's uh, awesome. Good commentary. That's there. awesome. Yeah. Hey, while I'm thinking about speaking of jinxing it, um, yeah. with guests, we should reach back out to the gentleman from Dodger, Dodger stadium. Yeah. That's been a while, <laughs> that, but that's someone that also agreed to come on. We just haven't yep, been able yep. to schedule. That's a oh, the amount example. of, yeah, the amount of folks that have agreed to come on and then just, through my doing or or, or, or mine theirs, or yeah, uh, just it hasn't happened yet. We we probably have a list longer than how many guests we have, <laughs> <laughs> probably. So, uh, so my shout out is to Janet Siasia. Uh, after uh, there was some joking around going on in the Facebook group after I shared my secret with poison ivy in the last buzz, and I wanted to thank Janet for sharing her poison ivy tip, which how she deals with it is she uses a hair dryer to kind of dry it out. And it takes some of the – she said the histamines kind of like go away. It takes care of the itching. You get some relief. But she has found great success with using a hair dryer on, on poison ivy, which I will – next time – hopefully it never happens again. But the next time I get poison ivy, I'm going to try that. And, uh, Say that one more time. I, I, I missed she, it there. She you, uses a, a, a hair dryer on poison ivy, and she said it makes the histamines kind of like hmm. quickly go. Yeah. She's like, so it kind of like – you get like instant relief with the heat, and it kind of dries it out. Okay, and it makes it less itchy. Interesting, which I'd never I'm, heard that before. I'm gonna have to tell my wife. Yeah, she has a ton of it right now. All right, have her try it and see what. Yeah. And Janet, actually, Janet, I've known since high school. We actually uh, 
Oh, That's Janet it. listens to the podcast. Janet oh, listens to the podcast. We went to high school together, and we actually went to Lollapalooza. Not together, but we hung out at Lollapalooza in 92. Awesome. Interesting. So, cool. Yeah, so I appreciate the tip. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate the tip. So uh, we don't really have a question this week, but we do have a submission in the question and comment line. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. It's a simple question. Um... No, I didn't hear you. What was your question? So I've listened to this. You haven't. We're not going to play the whole thing because it's a 10-minute clip. But uh, I want to thank Joe Stormer for submitting this one. Um, And this is – I guess he did a little uh, camping trip uh, near Queer Creek in Okanagan County, Washington, and said that this is what he was listening to while surrounded by Engelman Spruce, Whitebark Pine – uh, and an understory of Red Huckleberry, just to name a few. He he listed what his surroundings were, but I just want to thought it would be interesting to play what he recorded that night, just a, a snippet, mm-hmm. just to to set the mood. Do you have to go to the bathroom yet? No, but I did feel my <laughs> eyes start to close. That was very peaceful. If that were on Nature Sounds, that they would that would push them back in front of us again yeah. on the oh, nature yeah. charts because they were in front of us for quite some time when yeah, we first started. Definitely. So now they're in our rearview mirror, thankfully. But thank you for sharing that. And it makes it, you know the thing I appreciate about that is remembering to enjoy nature and. To, to have those connections and, mm-hmm. and get away, get away from the lights, get away from the sound and experience. I would, I would love a camping trip where that was my soundtrack oh, yeah. for the night. Yeah. So we have a good 10 minutes of that. I'm, don't play it in the <laughs> office or we're going to have a, <laughs> a very, the ring of the phone will jark people uh, away. Yeah. What? Uh, all right. So we, we don't have a lot of the other things that we yeah. typically do segments, but take it or leave it. I don't know if you looked at it. Oh, I but did. I, I just – since this has been a topic for the last couple buzzes, and it is a native plant, and it is a very beneficial native plant, but poison ivy, are you taking it or leafing it? Would you ever just plant it on your property? Oh, would I plant it? Would you plant it? Um, I wouldn't plant it. Have you ever seen it called for on a restoration? Site. No, but I've heard of it. I think through you. <laughs> yeah, but, I've seen it once or twice in in sixteen years. Yeah. Um, no, I I wouldn't plant it, but I think it is valuable. Um, it will probably volunteer itself in. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. always talk about in the the native plant trivia that was one of the top ten uh, most like plants native plants by deer. Wasn't yeah, I that? think so. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it is a really. Uh, Highly preferred plant by deer, which is amazing for how much there is. Yeah, um, it has. I guess it has benefits for birds too. I, I would assume there's insects that that like it. I would imagine. But um, are you planting yeah. it? That's my. That's my. No, oh, no, I'm definitely not. Planting I'm not planting it, it either. I have so are much you? that comes up in my garden, and this is why my wife has has poison ivy. She gets poison ivy really bad. I don't. Are you, Are you ripping it out? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're uh, ripping it out of our garden because it's, it's all over yeah. the hedgerow. It it's actually and, climbing yeah. our 
our wooden fence mm-hmm. and actually knocking it over. Wow. And like it's it's heavy enough on that um, that we've had to take some down. We haven't removed it all, but we've probably removed 75% of it. Mm-hmm. One, because I'm deathly allergic to it, like and it's not good for me, um, even just with when it falls and the leaves fall. Yeah. Like I'm, it's just a big – big issue for me Mm -hmm. so i have to just be careful but yeah i'm leafing it i know it's a native i'd never never say let's do away with it Mm -hmm. but just curious if it showed up on your property if you're leaving it what if you had a wooded lot and it showed up in like yeah oh yeah the back quarter because i yeah my old neighbor like had a had a half an acre of woods and it completely enveloped the whole half mm -hmm. an acre yeah, I'm not trying to get like we have a, a ton of it at the, uh, the woods at the back of our farm. Yeah, I'm not worried about it there. Okay. I just don't want it in like my my flower bed gardens. Yeah. Um, just because it climbs over everything, it, it's it takes away from my aesthetic. <laughs> Look at that, <laughs> we came full circle. Um, th- yeah, I, there's benefits to it, but it's all a balance, and that's one place where I think the the downside of it in our home gardens is my wife can't go in there she learned her lesson once she just learned her lesson again this past weekend um and so and i i get it a little bit but not bad and um yeah so i from a planting it perspective oh yeah i'm leafing it from a from a as a whole an ecology i'm okay with it yeah i'm i'm taking it as far as an overall whole for ecology oh yeah but Planting it or having it in a social area of my yard, mm-hmm. leaving it. Yeah. So, all right, cool. cool. I think that's about it. Yeah, so that's going to wrap us up for today. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Buzz. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Native Plants, Healthy Planet, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Since we're giving thanks, thank you to RJ Comer for our Buzz uh, intro theme music. Make sure you stream or buy RJ's music uh, wherever you consume your music and check out his uh, Americana playlist on Pandora. Big thank you to Dave Bennett for our native plant anthem. Follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet, or at Pinelands Nursery, and also YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Don't uh, forget about the question and comment line. Call us at 215-346-6189. I will repeat that, 215-346-6189. So that was Walter Payton. Mario Lemieux. What were the numbers? Remember, it was Walter Payton, Mario. Yeah, Walter Payton, uh, Mario Lemieux, Peyton Manning. Uh, no, Peyton Manning's not. It was Cam Newton's a number one. I forget who he said. For, oh, what, Peyton Manning. 18. Yeah, Peyton Manning for eighteen. 18. Who was number nine? Was it Eli Manning? No, he was number I ten. Remember. I don't remember Nick who Foles. we chose. Nick That's Foles. All right, there you go. Three four six six one eight nine. Not a, not the most popular way to remember a number. No. I'm finding out. No, but I got pretty it's, close there. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's good for folks like you and me yeah. who watch a lot of sports um, and know some sports history. We got to figure out a, so how you can remember a number for folks that don't watch sports. Oh, all right. That's I our, think the the Venn diagram of, and this is one of the issues that I think we have. Um, the Venn diagram of native plant people and sports people is probably barely touches. Yes. Um, and I think for native plants to, to break through into more, I think the, probably the overlap of gardeners and sports people probably yeah. might touch a little bit more, but not a lot more. Um, nursery people and sports probably 
overlaps quite a bit more. Oh, yeah. But you I can wouldn't go to many like trade a, shows and people are wearing, like, in the winter, like, when it's football season. Yeah, like, everyone's yeah. wearing their favorite teams. But um, I think that's one of the, the hurdles we have to overcome is is you have a group that's really, really passionate about that's their thing that they're passionate about. And you have the folks who are passionate about football, yeah. hockey, basketball, whatever, that we need to have a little bit of passion for native plants too. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. That would make the biggest difference. Yeah. Uh, if you call and leave a question or comment, we'll do our best to play it on a future episode of The Buzz. And let's not forget about the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. A lot of fantastic conversations, fun conversations, interesting conversations. Uh, we appreciate everyone's kindness and uh, how welcoming everyone is to new members. Yeah, so you can buy – have you ever tried to do this, like the real fast-talking people at the end of commercials? No. We should try and do that one time. All right. See how how quickly we can get through the – Yeah. I might try it right now. All right. Go for it. You can buy shirts and listen to NativePlantsHealthyPlanet.com. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> I already screwed up. I started laughing oh my gosh. immediately. Uh, you can, you can <laughs> gosh, you can buy Native Plants Healthy Planet merch at our website www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. Uh, just click on the banner at the top that takes you to our Teespring store. Uh, lots of good designs up there, and then your dollars are going to support organizations that are doing really great stuff with native plants. Uh, we don't keep any of it. It's not our organization. We, just, we pick other organizations. We just heard uh, from one of our customers who's also a competitor in another part of the the Northeast that. As a father and son, and the son was given a sweatshirt from his father for Christmas because he had found a one that had a native plant on it, was talking about native plants. And the son was looking. He's like, did you realize that you just got me a Pinelands Nursery podcast like <laughs> yeah. sweatshirt? Yeah. And his dad was like, what? And he goes, yeah, this is from their podcast. It's Native Plants Healthy Planet. So yeah. it's just – he just liked the design and the name of it without realizing what it was. I just thought that was a great, oh, yeah. great gift. Yeah, I'm like, well, story. we donated the money, so. Yeah, yep. So um, – and – you just keep listening where you're yes. listening. You're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, really, no, Stitcher, not Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Yeah. There's probably a bunch of different Stitcher is now gone. things that people can listen yeah. on. Even Alexa, you can yeah. play us on there. Um, do us a favor. Subscribe if you haven't already. And then leave us a five-star review. There's a, there's something riding on it now. Yeah. If you do a little write-up with that five-star review, you could you could win a signed copy of Soil yeah. by Camille Dungy. So yeah. uh, with that... I'm done. Um, I don't have a secret this week. We probably could have saved the pizza for a secret. I would oh. I would say my secret would be that I've had the big three of New Haven pizzas. Um, but I haven't had the original Frank Pepe's. We just drove right by it, too. We were yesterday. right there. Um, we should I've have had went and got other one Frank pizza Pepe. from all three and just sat in we the back have of the, the truck. Time. Now I, I know. I know you probably had the time. I had the time. Glenn probably had the time. Yeah. I know Leo I felt bad. I know Leo. I told him we'd be home around like, Six six thirty, and then we get home until seven thirty. So, and then he had probably twenty thirty minutes yeah. home. Yeah. Um, so I was like, I don't want. I thought about it, but I'm like, ah, we shouldn't stop again. And next time, but uh, yeah, we'll have to go back up. Right. Compare but, um, yeah. When you look at like the top pizza list, um, my my the ones I can check off are is growing greater. Yours is way more diverse than mine, and it's it's weird. Like when you look at the lists, I don't even agree with some of the ones that oh, I've yeah. been to that are on the list, but. You know, I've had Giordano's in Chicago. I've had, you know, modern, modern that's, pizza. In, that's what in, I haven't had is the Chicago ones. Will we get a chance next month? Um, maybe. All right. If we okay. want to have it at eight in the morning, 
That's okay. <laughs> you, you can only eat one slice. Yeah, it's yeah. so thick. All right. Yeah. Okay. That will be the secret that you've had the top three. So it was Sally's, Frank Pepe's. Sally's, Frank Pepe's, and, and modern. then modern. modern. All right. And I, I guess there's people who throw the, what's it, bar pizza in there. Yeah. But uh, it I've looks had, different. I've had two of the three because you, you shared Sally's yes, with me last yeah. time you were up there. I haven't had Frank Pepe's yet. Yeah. All right. So, that's all good. Right. So with that, thank you, everyone. I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Thank you again, everyone. Coming up next week, we have Camille Dungey, uh, and we talk about her new book, Soil. We'll see you again next time, and until then, keep it native. In meadows, woods, wetlands, and dales grows a bounty of beauty that never fails. Our native plants, so diverse and so rare, treasures of our land beyond compare. For the friends below, soaring oaks above, each plant has a place, each plant is loved. Some salt, these buzz about sipping methods fall. Oh, native plants, how do you grace this land? In your diversity, we will take a stand. To protect and preserve our generations to come, may beauty and importance second to none. To protect and preserve the earth, to restore the native plant food that you just can't ignore. Golden god asterisk and flowers galore. Menard is so stunning, can't help but adore. Colors, the fragrance, a piece for the eyes, a value too wild, like no need to disguise. Native plants, how you grace this land? In your diversity, we will take a stand. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.